Thank you for downloading the Kol Hadash podcast. This is episode 39. Today is April 10th, 2012, and I'm joined by Rabbi Shalom to discuss the International Institute for Secular Humanistic Judaism Colloquium. The colloquium begins April 20th and ends on the 22nd on the campus of Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. Registration is open, and we hope you can attend. Rabbi, thank you for sitting down with me to discuss the colloquium today. My pleasure. Why is the International Institute for Secular Humanistic Judaism running a full colloquium on the topic of half-Jews, the heirs of intermarriage? It's a crucial issue for the future of the American Jewish community and for the Jewish community around the world. It's not only an American issue. For the last 20 years in, in the United States and North America, fully half of the marriages involving Jews have been to individuals who are not Jewish. You go back 25 years, now there are lots and lots of 25-year-olds or younger, young adults, who come from this background of intermarriage or interpartnership, who feel connections to both sides of their family, who identify at least partially with being Jewish, but possibly partially with some other sense of their ethnic and family identity. And so for us to look forward to the future of an American Jewish community that's growing and thriving, we need to find a way to speak to this population, to encourage them to explore the Jewish side of who they are, without having to deny the other half of who they are. I mean, the irony is that no one is half anything, because you could say which half, the left or the right, the top. It doesn't work. Uh, They are both Jewish and something else. And our challenge is, as a Jewish community, is to open our tents wide enough to accept their Jewish and-ness, and yet still feel like we have enough in common as an organized Jewish community to feel a sense of connectedness, uh, roots, tradition, and also a culture that can go forward into the future. Roughly 40% of households with at least one Jewish member self-identify as interfaith or intercultural. Why is this subject important for the other 60% with a homogeneous background? Well, we found some interesting things in preparing for this conference. Uh, The speakers come from a wide variety of perspectives. In fact, some of them are half-Jewish, if you use that terminology. They come from multiple heritages. Some of them are fully Jewish and fully involved in the organized Jewish community. And yet they found that this issue impacts everyone all the time, whether it's a family member that has married someone who is not Jewish, or in an organized Jewish communal setting, students who come into Hillel's, students who go on the Birthright Israel trip, or who get involved in Birthright Next, which is the young adult follow-up program to Birthright, Um, students who go to Judaic Studies programs, at universities. They're all coming from this background of exposure to the outside world. You, you know, the irony is that most of us in the Jewish world are in some sense half Jewish because we live in English, we experience modern television and internet and conveniences, we are not limited by a Jewish environment. Um, and so we all are facing this dynamic of balancing multiple identities. I personally am Jewish, I'm also white, I'm also male, I'm also from the Midwest, I also went to an Ivy League school. These are all parts of my identity, and at different times, different elements of those are more important. So this idea of juggling multiple identities is a phenomenon for all Jews, not just for the so-called half-Jewish. And the other interesting topic that will come up at the colloquium is the question of definitions. What does it mean to be Jewish? Because for the half-Jewish individual, it could be a cultural connection, a family connection. It may not be a set of religious beliefs or ideas or practices. Well, guess what? For the so-called fully Jewish, the same issues are part of who they are and how they connect to being Jewish. 
Uh, what it means to be part of the community is important for those looking to join the community, for those on the edge of the community, but also for those in the heart of the community, because it helps define who they are and how they fit in that broader context. Now, for the intercultural family, the one where you have to kind of pick and choose what things you're celebrating, what things you're not, um, it always seems there's a pull. Um, are you going to celebrate Christmas? Are you going to celebrate Hanukkah? Are you going to celebrate both? And what if those things collide? For the homogeneous family, it seems like that answer is quickly solved. Um, are there lessons to be learned for the homogeneous family that, that they can, um, you know, how to be part of a bigger, bigger collective and, um, and how to respect those, those other traditions? Is that what we're looking for? Well, it certainly is useful for them to understand that they may have other parts of their own family that will have Christmas trees and those kind of celebrations, and they need to learn how to be tolerant and accepting and even celebrating those. I mean, after all, tolerance is a minimal standard. We'd like to be celebrated, too. Um, the second dynamic that I think is useful is people don't always appreciate that just because you marry someone Jewish doesn't marry, mean you married the same person, <laughs> the same kind of Jew. That is, you can have someone raised Reform and someone raised Conservative, and they have a lot of differences in the melodies they're used to and the kind of rituals they're, uh, they're comfortable with, whether or not their home was kosher growing up or not. Um, and so this idea of bridging differences applies to Jewish-Jewish partnerships as much as it does to a Jewish-non-Jewish partnership. In this case, the focus of the conference is not as much on what we would call the parents' generation of the fully Jewish person marrying someone who's not Jewish, but rather on the experience of the young adult or even the adult who was raised with elements of both culture or from a family background that has elements of both, um, and then choosing their own identity as they go forward. And we find that sometimes those raised with this multiple heritage may marry someone Jewish, and then that nudges their family home in that direction. Or they may marry someone not Jewish, and, and their Jewish side of them, in fact, becomes even more prominent because now they feel like to maintain that, they have to put in effort to make it happen. In terms of Hanukkah and Christmas, I mean, as long as you don't put the candles too close to the tree, usually it works out okay uh, to have elements of both in a home. And the children are able to understand that my father comes from this background, my mother comes from this background, and we're celebrating elements of both. And in many ways, it's a more honest approach than pretending that one is only one or the other. I mean, a family may choose to do that. Uh, and, and in some cases, the non-Jewish partner chooses to convert or the Jewish partner chooses to convert out into a different religious tradition. And again, that's their choice. It's their family. Uh, but the more honest one is with the composition of one's family, the more well-grounded the young adult grows up so that even if they go out into the world and people are challenging their status in one way or another, uh, they still feel rooted in their home and the choices their parents made make sense to them because it's an honest reflection of who they are. Tell me more about your keynote speaker, Maya Escobar. Well, I'm very excited to hear what Maya Escobar has to say because she is a very edgy uh, performance artist as well as a graphic artist. Uh, she comes from a Latino and Jewish background. Her father's Latino, obviously, with the name Escobar. Uh, her mother's Jewish. I understand she was raised in a Reconstructionist congregation. Um, and she has a deep sense of who she is in both sides of her personality. She's exhibited art in Israel and in Venezuela and in Latin America. She, for a time, was the online art editor at Zeke, which is a young adult online Jewish magazine. Uh, but she is currently working for a nonprofit called New Futuro, which is a, um, a nonprofit designed for young Latinos to encourage them to apply to college and to help them get into college, to help advance their own prospects. So now she's working in the Latino part of the world. But the point is that she's still who she is, no matter where she moves. 
and no matter which hat she has on, so to speak. She has a particular fascination with the artist Frida Kahlo, who herself was from a mixed Jewish background. Her father was uh, German Jew, I believe, and her mother was Mexican. Um, and so that sense of multiple heritage comes out as well in, her, uh, in Maya Escobar's interest in Frida Kahlo. I don't really know what she's going to say or <laughs> what she's going to do. I've, I've, under, I've been told that she can be a little out there, and that's exciting because we want to hear her voice, we want to be edgy, and we want to push the envelope. Look, the title is problematic in its own way because we are not saying you have to be half, called half-Jewish if you're from a mixed Jewish background. And uh, some people find the term very offensive because they feel fully Jewish. They don't want to be uh, reminded of the fact that they have one parent that isn't Jewish when they've chosen a Jewish life for themselves. Um, nevertheless, it's a concept that everybody understands. And when Adam Sandler put it into his Hanukkah song and he said Paul Newman is half Jewish and Goldie Hawn is half Jewish, nobody made protest signs, they, they understood what he was doing. But they also had what was called the celebrity exception. That is, if a celebrity is half Jewish, then they don't care which half, and as long as there's a little claim we can put our hook onto Paul Newman, then fantastic. But if it's a lay person trying to join a synagogue or to get married by a rabbi, all of a sudden it becomes more challenging. And part of our goal in being a little edgy in the conference is to push the envelope, is to challenge people to say, if we want a growing Jewish community, we have to change what we've been doing. And we have to find a way that we're not defining ourselves out of existence, because if we keep up a high fence, no wonder no one gets in. The alternative is low barriers mean fuzzy boundaries, and that's challenging for people, but on the other hand, it's an opportunity to grow tremendously. I mean, imagine the, the campus population is just one example. We're doing this on Northwestern University's campus. And on the typical campus, you will have more children of intermarriage who are so-called half-Jewish than you have fully, so-called fully Jewish individuals, uh, just because of the numbers of the way the, the, the uh, partnering works out. You make, out of 100 Jewish individuals, if half of them marry someone not Jewish, you make 50 intermarried families and 25 Jewish Jewish families. Well, there's going to be more half-Jewish individuals running around a campus. Imagine doubling the size of every Holocaust observance. Imagining doubling the size of Judaic Studies programs classes. Imagine doubling the size of synagogues in 15 years when they decide to get married and start a family together. I mean, that could be a radical, wonderful change in the Jewish community, but it's going to require a different approach to many of these questions. And Maya Escobar is just one example of needing to take a risk and push the envelope a bit um, and also be willing to accept someone who is both Jewish and Latina. She's not choosing one or the other. She is both because that is who she is. And at times, one or the other is more important, but she never stops being the other part of who she is. And who are some of the other interesting participants? Well, I'm very excited that we have a wide range of experiences coming to bear on this uh, colloquium. First of all, in terms of panelists who will be part of the discussion, we have Rabbi Miriam Jerris from the Society for Humanistic Judaism, who has done decades of work in intercultural families, both in terms of wedding ceremonies and in counseling settings. Uh, we have Rabbi Ari Mafik from InterfaithFamily.com, who uh, was recently hired by this outreach organization to do programs in the Chicago area, but has had a lifetime interest in the subject. Um, we have as headline speakers, uh, Lynn Davidman, who is a professor of Judaic Studies and Sociology at the University of Kansas, who's doing some in-depth research on the terminology of half-Jewish and the concept and phenomenon, and what individuals who are half-Jewish choose for their own identity and what are the criteria they use. Following Lynn Davidman, on Saturday morning we have Paul Golan, who is the Assistant Executive Director of the Jewish Outreach Institute, another interfaith outreach organization, uh, talking about the mystic Jewish future.
what could happen if we open these doors, as I've described. Um, and he also will bring some very interesting quantitative statistical studies that JOI has done on the adult children of intermarriage and how they uh, identify and what their values are. In the afternoon, we turn to that young adult period of the post-high school pre-marriage period, and we look at two uh, settings for that. One is the campus setting. We have the former executive director of the University of Chicago Hillel, Dan Liebenson, speaking about his experience working with Hillel and that population on campus. And then we also have Yoni Sirison, who's the Midwest director of Birthright Israel Next, talking about the post-college period of young adult identity formation, what choices they make. And both of them, they've talked with each other because it's a shared session, and they agree that in many ways, uh, what's happening in the broader society in young adult identity formation affects Jews too. You know, the joke is that Jews are like everybody else, only more so. Well, that's certainly the case when it comes to identity formation. Another interesting statistic related to that as an aside, with a decline in uh, marriage statistics, that people just aren't getting married as often as they used to, and more children are being born without married parents, we may have to change our terminology. It won't be the heirs of intermarriage anymore. <laughs> because they won't be married. It'll be the heirs of inner partnership or something, some new model that we have to come up with. Um, in fact, in some cases, people who are from intercultural couplings don't get married to avoid the issue of who's going to officiate and how are the families going to, they'll just not get married at all. <laughs> That's the problem. Um, and then the last program on Saturday afternoon is a panel discussion we've entitled One, Both, or Neither. So we have a variety of perspectives of individuals who are from this half-Jewish background, one of whom was raised in a humanistic Jewish congregation, one of whom was originally raised in a conservative synagogue and then raised sort of unaffiliated, but who also comes from a multiracial background, and that will be an interesting variable. We have a young woman who was raised as both at a program run in Chicago called the Chicago Interfaith Family School, where they uh, raised them both religiously Catholic and religiously Jewish. And so she'll offer her perspective on being raised both religions as opposed to simply both cultures or exposed to, you know, Christmas tree and uh, Hanukkah menorah. Um, and we also have a woman named Erica Sosa who for a long time worked in the organized Jewish community yet still is coming from this half-Jewish background. And her choice to make that work decision and direction for her life will be part of the discussion as well. Sunday morning, to wrap up, we take a look at the issue of Israel with an Israeli humanistic rabbi coming to speak about what's been happening there as well as the broader Jewish world and how to maintain positive connections when uh, Israel in some cases tends to be more traditional when it comes to Jewish identity, uh, even in the secular population, uh, than we are in America. And yet, the issues there are, are prominent as well, whether it's the children of Russian Jewish families or the few Jewish Arab partnerships that one finds, um, or even people moving in from out of the country who come in with a non-Jewish spouse, and what does a non-Jewish spouse have to say? And finally, my job at the end, having experienced all of this wonderful insight, is to try and wrap it up in 45 minutes and draw some lessons from it and understand what we've learned over the course of the weekend and what we can take going forward to try and improve the Jewish community and to make a brighter Jewish future. What can an attendee look forward to when attending a colloquium? Well, first and foremost, the colloquium was designed for intellectual stimulation. They will come and find new ideas and insights they hadn't considered, new information they weren't aware of, and uh, new ways to articulate a message they maybe already be familiar with. I mean, if we understand the message of welcome, tolerance, celebrating differences, we understand that concept. But how to articulate it, how to make it actual, how to create it in a living, vibrant way, that's part of what we're going to learn at the colloquium. But it also will provide inspiration. It's not simply the intellectual side. I mean, that could be a college lecture. We will come out of this experience feeling energized and enthused about 
not only the issues related to the topic, but about the broader identity of humanistic Judaism. Over the course of the weekend, we'll do a Kabbalat Shabbat service, welcoming the beginning of the Sabbath and the conference on Friday evening. On Saturday evening, we have a Havdalah observance to mark the end of Shabbat, but also the graduation of several leaders in our movement. We have individuals from Florida, from Michigan, and from Colorado who will be graduating as madrichot, madrichim, as leaders. Um, but we also will have um, the graduation of a master's degree student who's completed an advanced course of study. Um, it really will be a marvelous uh, celebration of uh, leadership and achievement of our movement. We'll have a chance to meet humanistic Jews from all over the country and all over the world, um, and that will be an exciting opportunity as well. And uh, there'll be books for sale, there'll be uh, promotional materials to learn from. It really will be a marvelous takeaway experience. And if there are those who aren't able to make it to the program, we will be producing a book uh, out of the spe uh, speeches and uh, thoughts produced at the colloquium, and also ultimately DVDs of the proceedings. So even if you missed it live, you'll be able to catch it on rerun. Speaking of books, I understand the Institute has a new publication out. Do you want to go ahead and plug that? Sure. Uh, we are officially releasing the book uh, the second weekend of June, June 9th, but we will have advanced copies for sale at the colloquium. When Sherwin Wine died in a car accident in 2007, he had an advanced manuscript of a history of the Jews, but it was his history of the Jews, a secular history of the Jews. All too often, Histories of the Jews pay lip service to the religious traditions when the archaeological and scientific evidence aren't there. And they celebrate the religious creativity of the Jews without focusing on their economic role, their political experience, the diversity of Jewish cultures that were created. It's a religious Jewish history, which can be appropriate at times and place, but this is something very different. It's well-trodden paths, but it's a new approach by looking at it from a secular perspective. And so we've entitled the book, A Provocative People, A Secular History of the Jews. It is a very readable, very accessible book. Um, the manuscript took some work to get it into publishable phase, whether it was editing, uh, avoiding repetitions, adding footnotes and references, and other material that I was able to do over the last few years. And now finally, uh, we, five years later, we are finally able to bring out the book. We will have advanced sales of the colloquium but we will make it available um, through Amazon and through direct sales from the Institute beginning in June. We hope to come out with an ebook edition in July or August. And uh, this is his, in some ways, uh, Sherman's magnum opus, uh, the culmination of several decades of teaching and learning on Jewish and general history, and he puts it into marvelous context. And in one page, he'll summarize four or five different Christian heresies and explain how that relates to Jewish history and how it affected the Jewish uh, experience in different times and places. Um, it really is a tour de force of uh, human knowledge and Jewish knowledge. Uh, he was always a masterful teacher, and he continues to teach. You can hear his voice throughout the book. Uh, for those who knew him and for those who didn't get the chance to know him, it really is a wonderful introduction to the study of Jewish history, which, after all, for humanistic Jews, is a core part of who we are and what we do. You see, Jewish practice is not only prayers and reading Torah. That can count, but it also includes learning to cook Jewish food studying a Jewish language, and reading Jewish history. Experiencing the Jewish experience, that for us is connecting to our heritage and being Jewish in our own way. And so reading this book, for us, can be as important as any of those other alternatives to connect with one's heritage. As North American Dean of the IISHJ, what are your personal goals for this colloquium? Well, seeing as we're talking about 10 days out from the event, my first goal is to get it done, <laughs> or at least to be ready in time for the program. Um, 
But secondly, I think it will be a marvelous experience for the participants. I want it to be uh, the most uh, exciting and interesting and intellectually stimulating it can be. I want to produce an important work, whether it's the book or the DVDs or YouTube clips that get out there, to begin this conversation of what the Jewish community needs to do to have its doors open and to welcome in this population and make them feel that they are a celebrated part of our Jewish family. And I would love for this to produce more attention for our movement, to say that we've had this open door for 40 years, and we encourage all those who connect culturally to Jewish identity and have a humanistic or human-focused philosophy of life to find a warm and welcoming and vibrant Jewish home with us. Uh, that's always one of the goals of the colloquia, is get attention. Uh, but finally, and most importantly, I want to, uh, to change the direction of the American Jewish community. Uh, we have been turning inwards and closing doors for far too long, and there have been attempts to open the doors. The reform movement of 25 years ago, or uh, I guess it was, yeah, almost 30, 30 years, almost 30 years ago now, 30 years ago, uh, adopted a patrilineal descent principle that you could be Jewish if your father was Jewish, but again, you couldn't be raised both. That was beyond the pale. Um, and uh, other movements have softened their ban on intermarriages or on rabbis officiated intermarriages from time to time. But still, the rejection is out there. I met with a couple just yesterday uh, where the bride's family had belonged to a temple for many years, were still members there, but their rabbi wouldn't do the wedding. And so they had to come to me to officiate at the ceremony. And it's too bad that too many people feel that rejection. I think that if we are going to be successful as a Jewish community, we need to find ways that everyone can find a home. If there's only three flavors of Jewish life, you know, when I was growing up, uh, there were three kinds of bagels, raisin, salt, egg, and then plain. I guess there were four. But that was it. That was the only kinds of bagels you could have. Today, there's chocolate chip bagels and Asiago cheese bagels and sun-dried tomato bagels, and some people will say, well, those aren't real bagels. The only real bagels are the old four. Well, the fact that there are more kinds of bagels means there are more ways to connect to bagels. The same is true for Jewish life. If there's only one way to do it, or there's only three ways to do it, or only four ways to do it, then fewer people are going to connect with it. In a multicultural American society where even our president is a multi-heritage individual from different backgrounds, we have to be open to people having a foot in the bagel shop and a foot <laughs> in another shop uh, and still finding a home with us as we meet their needs uh, through the passage of their life. Well, I'd like to thank you for sitting down with me today, and I look forward myself to attending the colloquium on April 20th, and uh, hope to see our podcast audience come out. Um, you can uh, meet me in the flesh, as it were, and, um, and of course meet Rabbi Shalom and other members of the community. And if you want more information about the colloquium, you can visit the Kol Hadash website, www.kolhadash.com or the website of the International Institute, which is iishj.org. And thank you again for the opportunity. Once again, thank you for downloading the Kol Hadash podcast. One final programming note, there will only be one episode released this month as I will be tied up with Colloquium. For more information about Kol Hadash, visit kolhadash.com. And for more info about the International Institute, visit iishj.org. I'm Ken Burke. And thanks for listening.